So we are in Philippians 2, verses 12 to 13, if you're not there already. It's hard to watch someone squander the gifts and privileges and opportunities they've been given. A gifted student with an exceptional IQ, failing his courses and flunking out of college because of laziness or indifference or wanting to play video games more than he wants to study. Uh, A privileged heiress blowing her fortune on extravagant living and addictions. Uh, An employee who works for a company where there are many, many opportunities for promotion, but never takes them, never applies, never advances because of fear of failure. We see this sort of thing happen and we naturally think, how sad, what a waste. They were given so much, but they never made the most of it. It's tragic. But how much more tragic is it When believers in Christ, when you and I squander the gifts and privileges and opportunities that we've been given. In Christ, we have graciously received the gift of salvation from Satan's sin and death. Satan's power over us has been broken. We've been forgiven of all of our sin and we have the gift of eternal life. Which means that the Father is now for us. The Son is with us. The Spirit is in us. We have been forever reconciled and restored into a right relationship with the one true triune God who then gives us every spiritual blessing we need to live holy lives, every spiritual gift we need to to serve and build up the church of Christ, every spiritual resource we need to become more like Christ. We have the the presence of God to sustain us, the word of God to sanctify us, the armor of God to shield us, the peace of God to secure us, and so much more. And yet, far too often, we tragically fail to make the most of it to all of these blessings we have in Christ, don't we? We take for granted the endless spiritual riches and resources at our disposal. We, we become indifferent to what we have and we, we don't live up to our spiritual potential. Though we now have new life in Christ, we so easily go back to that old life. Though we now know God in Christ, we so often let, let other things supplant God and his position of primacy in our lives. We squander our salvation, which must not be a unique thing to us and to Christians today because in this morning's text in Philippians 2, 12 to 13, the apostle Paul found it necessary to exhort the Philippian believers and all other believers in all other times and places to be making the most of our salvation. He says, work out your own salvation. This is the central command here in this passage. It's probably one that many of you are familiar with. And maybe some of you 
when you've read this before and when you heard it again today, maybe you were a little confused about. Because at first glance, it almost sounds like Paul is promoting a work-based salvation, contradicting his clear teaching elsewhere that we're not saved by works, but by grace. As you'll say later in chapter 3, verse 9, that righteousness comes not from the law, but through faith. Well, notice, he's not saying here, work for your salvation. Earn something that you don't already have. Rather, he is saying, work out your salvation. Fully experience and enjoy the salvation that is already yours. We must work out what Christ has already worked for us and worked in us by his grace. Not working towards salvation through our good deeds, but rather working from salvation that is ours already through faith. It's, it's the already saved making the most of that salvation that is ours. The word translated work out here was commonly used in Paul's day for working a mine in order to get out of it all of the, the valuable ore as much as possible. Or it would be used for working a field in order to get the greatest yields that the land can produce. In the same way, Paul is exhorting Christians to take our salvation and to exploit all of its potential in our lives, mining the riches of our redemption, cultivating the blessings that we have in Christ so that we bear much spiritual fruit for Christ. And most of all, so that we live and look like Christ more and more and more. Just as we saw last week in the previous verses, you'll remember in verses 5 to 11, when we were exhorted to have the selfless mind of Christ. As the old hymn puts it, may the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day, so by his power and love controlling all I do and all I say. Looking, living more like Christ. Now you remember, this is actually the, the purpose of Paul's letter to the Philippians, as he said in chapter 125, your progress and joy in the faith. And it's also the, the main message of the whole book. As Paul talking about himself, this idea of, of pressing on in the Christian life, never standing still, but always moving forward in spiritual maturity, no matter how far we've come. Another way of saying, work out your own salvation. This is what Paul is calling us to here today. Make the most of your salvation. And he tells us how we can make that happen. Right? He doesn't just say, this is what you need to do, now do it. But he tells us here how to do this. And the first is by relenting to the God who saved us. So beginning of verse 12 again, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Now, whenever we see the word therefore as we're studying scripture, we should always take note of it because it's always there for a reason to, to connect what's being said with what just was said. And in this case, with what Paul had said about Christ in verse 8. Christ's perfect obedience, even to the point of death. 
He humbly submitted to the Father's will in order to save the world through his sacrificial death. Well, now in the same way, the Philippian believers and all other believers in Christ are likewise to submit to the Father's will, specifically by obeying what Paul is writing here in inspired scripture. And when he uses this word obeyed, It contains the idea of hearing something and then doing what is heard. And so basically, Paul is is calling them, calling us to do what we're told. Like a child doing what their parent says, or a a soldier doing what his commander says, or a, a servant doing what his master says. That should be the posture of God's people to God's word, doing what we're told. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, James says in James 1.22. And, and it's interesting, we see here too that it's not only when we, we like what we're being told to do, when we agree with it. No, remember, it says Christ humbled himself in obedience and therefore we are to do the same. But let's be honest, we often act as though we know better than God, don't we? And we come to his commandments often, not humbly, but but pridefully, either ignoring what we don't like or explaining away what seems to be out of touch, out of date, or out of reach. You know, far too often we're like that child who whenever they're asked to do something, defiantly says, but why? Why? Why do I have to do it? Refusing to do anything until there's a satisfactory explanation. But godly obedience that Paul exhorts to the church and Christ exemplified on the cross is humble. And therefore it doesn't respond, God, I don't like this. Why do I need to do this? But rather, yes, Father, I will do it. Just as James says in James 4, 6 to 7, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Right? If we want to work out our salvation and make the most of it, we need to be obeying humbly. But there's more. There's one other characteristic to Christ-like obedience that Paul is, is calling for here. Notice the the Philippian believers were expected to obey, he said, not only in in Paul's presence, as they'd always done before, but also in his absence. Meaning wherever they are, whoever they're with, whatever time it is, Sunday or Monday, they must obey God's word. Listen, if you're one thing on Sunday and quite another on Monday, if you act one way here, and then a very different way at home. One way when you're around your fellow Christians and another way when you're with your unbelieving friends. You're not living in obedience to God's word and you will not be able to make the most of your salvation, nor will I. Uh, Writing about this very thing, former president of Miller College of the Bible, Herbert Peeler, warned, I, I like how he puts it, he says, If your response to the message of God's word depends on where or with whom you are, you have little regard for the Lord Jesus Christ and a very superficial experience. This is so important. What you are when no one is watching 
is the true index of your spiritual condition. So who are you and who am I when nobody's watching? Or put another way, maybe, who are you and how do you act and how do you live when you're around non-Christians who don't have the same standards as you do? Are you and I obeying God's word, not just on Sunday, but on Monday? Not just in, in public, but in private. Not just here, but at home. This is the first way that we are to work out our salvation, to make the most of it. Simply put, you and I must learn to obey, to humbly do what we're told right away, every day, no matter where we are or who we're with, whether we like it or not. Because again, as James says of God's word in James 1.24, a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. As the saved, we're to make the most of our salvation by, by simply relenting to the God who saved us, obeying him humbly. But then second, also by revering the God who saved us. So Paul goes on to say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, remember last week, Paul said in verse 9 to 11 that one day, Christ, our Savior, will come again in his exalted glory and every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Well, the only natural response, the only proper posture for people like you and I who recognize that lordship already today is to live today like we will live that day when we see him with fear and trembling. The apostle is crystal clear. This is how we must work out our salvation. This must be the manner and motivation of our humble obedience, fear and trembling, which is the attitude and the approach to godly living that is taught throughout the Bible. Deuteronomy 13.4, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. Psalm 2.11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Isaiah 66.2, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. In Ecclesiastes 12.13, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Now, what exactly does it mean to fear the Lord, to follow him with fear and trembling? Well, uh, it might be helpful to consider how Paul uses these exact same words elsewhere, particularly how he encouraged the Corinthian church to welcome Titus in this way, in 2 Corinthians 7.15, meaning they were to welcome him with, with honor and the recognition of his pastoral authority. Or also how Paul called the, the Christian servants in Ephesus to obey their masters in Ephesians 6, 5 with the same words. Meaning again, with, with honor and humility, recognizing their authority. In the same way, we as Christians are to show the proper honor and humility towards the Lord Jesus Christ, recognizing his divine authority and therefore revering him as Lord and master whom we want to show proper respect, seeking to please him 
above all others because we recognize he is God and we are not. I love how many years ago, Reverend John Brown explained the fear of the Lord this way. He said, the fear of the Lord is esteeming the smiles and frowns of God more highly than the smiles and frowns of men. It's this kind of reverent, respectful heart disposition, an awestruck attitude towards God that, that seeks to want to please him because he is our creator and he is our redeemer. This is absolutely essential for making the most of our salvation and becoming more like Christ. Many years ago, 17th century Baptist pastor and author, Andrew Fuller, he was traveling in a coach with two young men and he was greatly disturbed by their profane conversation throughout the journey. And as they observed the seriousness on his face, one of them asked him if he would, knowing he wouldn't, asked him if he would indulge with them in some evil behavior once they got to their destination of Portsmouth in England. Apparently, looking the man full in the face, he just replied to him solemnly and straightforwardly. He says, man, I fear God. And that ended the conversation and ended their profanities for the remainder of the journey. You know, church, I'm convinced one of the, one of the main reasons there's so much immorality and so much spiritual immaturity in the church today. Why so many are not living in obedience to God, not making the most of our salvation, is that we have become far too comfortable, casual, and careless about our holy God. We do not fear and tremble before him. We talk to God like he's our buddy, and we talk about God like he's our heavenly life coach who's just here to give us therapy so that we'd feel better about ourselves. We worship God like it's no big deal. We come to his word almost like it's just any other book full of advice. While Paul and Moses and David and Isaiah and Solomon tell us the only fitting way to follow the true holy God and bear spiritual fruit in our lives is with fear and trembling. To again recognize that we are coming before God whom we will all one day bow before. Hebrews 12, 28 to 29 says, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. If we the saved want to make the most of our salvation, we must do so by revering the God who saved us. But then thirdly and finally, Paul tells us we must work out our salvation, make the most of it by relying on the God who saved us. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, as a father, I often tell my kids to do things that I know that they can't fully do on their own. And so always along with the command, I say, and don't worry, I'll help you. 
where you need help. I'll do the heavy lifting. Well, in the same way, our heavenly father often tells us his children to do certain things that he knows we can't possibly do on our own, but he always gives us the assurance that he will help us. He will, in a sense, do the heavy lifting. And that's what he's doing right here at the end of our passage, right? He's called us to obey. He's called us to do so with an attitude of fear and trembling. And we know that that's something that's really hard to do a lot of the time. But he says in the end, don't worry. He gives us this promise that as you are working out your own salvation, it will actually be me working it out in you and for you. Notice how Paul says, um, he uses the same word twice here to make the point. He says, God works in you so that you can work for his good pleasure. So you and I, we're active, we're, we're obedient, we're, we're working, we're, we're seeking to make the most of our salvation. But then he says, but you know what? Ultimately, it's God doing it in you, empowering you, empowering me to press on in the Christian life and become more like Christ with fear and trembling, which again is something that we see throughout the Bible, don't we? Whether it was Moses And his fear of public speaking, I can't do that, God. Or it was David before Goliath with those measly five stones. Or it was Paul and his unimpressive demeanor and his his thorn in the flesh. All of them, all of the, the heroes of scripture were weak, just like you and me. And in their weakness, God poured out his strength didn't he? And Paul will will remind the Philippians, he'll remind us of this in a powerful way later on in chapter 413, where he says, what? He says, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever God asks me to do, he will give me the strength, he'll give me the power to do it. That's what that verse is about. A few years ago, there was a a black and white Gatorade commercial, maybe you saw it, where two famous NFL players were shown perspiring bright Gatorade color sweat as they were playing football. And the commercial then concluded with uh, the Gatorade tagline, I guess at the time, is it in you, right? The implication being that the Gatorade they drank before the game, that that's what was giving them the energy to succeed and play football in this amazing way. And it's kind of ridiculous, of course. I've tried it, it doesn't work. (laughs) But it's a great illustration of what Paul's saying here in verse 13. Growing in obedience and reverence toward God, it takes purposeful, exerted effort, right? We We have to break a spiritual sweat to work out our salvation. But... The effort we exert, it does not come from our own reserves of energy. No, the beads of spiritual sweat that run down our face have their source in God, who is powerfully working in us as we work out our salvation. As Paul says of his own ministry in Colossians 1.29, for this I toil, struggling with all of his energy, that he powerfully works 
within me. That is so encouraging, isn't it? And yet as encouraging as that is, I want you to notice that God not only gives us the spiritual energy to work for his good pleasure, but notice what he says before that. He also will give us the will to do it. That's huge because so often we might feel like I have the strength to obey, but I don't desire it. I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know I can grow in my faith. I know I can um, exploit that potential and have spiritual maturity and see all those things. I know it. I know the promises. I know God's word. But honestly, I'm too tired right now. I'm unmotivated. I'm struggling to want to do this. I'm feeling pretty content right now where I am. Have you ever been there before? It's just the motivation's just not there. I've been there before and it's difficult and it's discouraging. I know, Lord, what you want me to do. I know where you want me to be. But if I'm just honest with you right now, I just don't know if I got it in me. I kind of just want to stay where I am. Well, even then, Paul tells us, even then, God is working in us. And if we not only relent and revere him, but rely on him as well. Relying on him, Lord, I can't do this on my own. And if I'm honest, I don't even want to do this right now. But, but I'm, I'm throwing myself at your feet. I'm, I'm asking you to, to give me what I need, not just the work, but the, the will, trusting that he can strengthen you. He can even shape your desires according to his will. He will, as we read in 1 Kings 8, speaking of Israel, incline our hearts to him to walk in all his ways and keep his commandments. He will give us the grace we need to make the most of our salvation. A, a wonderful promise. A wonderful promise. Wherever we're at today. So will we yield then to his transformative work in our lives? Will we allow him to shape us? To take the blessings we have in Christ so that he can make us more like Christ? Who said, as, as Eva read before, Whoever abides in me, whoever's close to me, whoever relies on me, he it is who will bear much fruit. Imagine one day you receive an official letter in the mail from a trustworthy lawyer who informs you that a distant relative has generously left you an enormous fortune, far beyond your wildest dreams. Billions of dollars, along with properties and, and assets. What will you do with that inheritance? Will you just let it sit there, untouched and unused? Will you, you pay off your debts right away, you know, your most pressing need, but then never spend anymore? Never use the rest of it for the, your benefit and the benefit of others? Of course not. That would be absurd. After paying off your debt, you would then spend the rest of your life enjoying that inheritance, wouldn't you? Making the most of it. 
Well, as you've just been reminded by the Apostle Paul, as believers in Christ, we have an infinitely greater treasure than that. A spiritual inheritance in the heavenly places. So great a salvation, which would be far more absurd to squander. To just let it sit there. To pay off our debt for sin and then just let it be for the rest of our lives. And so Paul exhorts us here to take those spiritual riches we have and use them to the max, to make our spiritual inheritance in Christ operational in every area of our lives, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to make the most of it. That's what we're called to do here today. And I realize, you know, that might seem Good, but, but a little bit vague. Okay, but what exactly does that look like? Where do I start? Well, let me just end now with a personal suggestion of one way that we as a church together, because remember, this letter was written to the Philippian church as a whole, one way that maybe we can start to do something about this in this summer. One way that I, I see a need, a place where I think as a church, we could be working out our salvation together better. And it's this. I want to encourage each of us, in light of what we've just heard, to apply this in this way. For the remainder weeks of this summer, to show hospitality to one another. One of the greatest blessings of our salvation is that though we were sinners estranged from God, by faith in Christ, we are now sons and daughters of God. And we have been welcomed into God's family, and one day we will be welcomed into God's heavenly home. And so working out that part of our salvation means showing the same hospitality to others, to strangers, and particularly, first and foremost, strangers in our midst, in our own church. Looking around and saying, okay, are there new people I don't know in this family? And I want to welcome them into my home and treat them like family. That's what... I'm calling us to consider doing. It'd be one way that we can press on in our Christian life together this summer, using the spiritual riches we have to bless others, to build up our church community, living in a manner worthy of the gospel, making the most of this one part of our salvation. One way to make the most of it. Let's pray that God would give us the grace to do that together. Lord God, we thank you again for your word and we thank you for this important reminder here today that as we consider all that we have, the rich blessings of our salvation, that we would not just take that for granted and squander it and let it just sit there unused, but we would mine the depths of our salvation. We would make the most of it. We would want to live more like Christ every day by your power. So do that in us, Lord, in whatever ways we need, taking steps forward in our Christian lives towards spiritual maturity, and specifically that together we would consider making the most of the fact that you've welcomed us into your family through Christ, and we would now welcome each other into our families and our church family as well. And in all these ways, Lord, we would look more like Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.